where we sometimes seem to talk about bare naked ladies songs alphabetically as this week again we take a break from the schedule and talk to a giant in the country music industry tonight's guest is an individual country music artist who has recorded more than 20 studio albums including one platinum album and two gold albums and five christmas albums he started by releasing his first six albums independently and creating his own music studio in his father's basement in order to give out his tapes to locals. Does that sound like another band that we know by any chance? <laughs> then he signed on to a label, and soon after he had a number one hit single, Your Love Amazes Me, in 1994. He has six top ten hits. What's in it for me? You and Only You. Standing on the Edge of Goodbye. I think about it all the time. Changed my mind. She's taken a shine. He has two Grammy Grammy nominations and three CMA nominations. He has played for George W. H. W. Bush at his birthday party. As of February this year, he has had seventy performances at the Grand Old Opry. His songs, his song "Do Not Be Afraid," is featured on the title track and video for the film. Beautifully Broken. The song Beautifully Broken was has been number one on the Country Music Weekly chart for five weeks and charted at number 30 on the Music Row Country Charts, breaking a 22-year stretch for charting a single on radio. In August of 2017, John launched a new weekly international syndicated television show entitled Songs and Stories with John Barry that explored the songs and stories that changed the lives of his weekly guest. Just last week, a couple weeks ago, actually, of this recording, he lent his iconic voice to Joe and Martina's new single, Give Me Back the 90s. In 2018, he wanted to do something to help the victims of Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma, and he wrote a song with Chuck Jones called All Come Together, and called his friends, Keb Moe, Colin Ray, John Oates, yes, of of Holland Oates, Casey James, Brian White, John Cowan, Darren and Brooke Aldridge, Heidi Newfield of Trick Pony, Dave Ennis of Restless Heart, Paul Gregg of Restless Heart, and Mike Ferris. And they released All Come Together, which is not a joining together of the two Beatles songs. So stop it right now, Jeff. Don't don't even go there. <laughs> Uh, hey, hey uh, uh, Tracy. Yes, Tracy. I'm I'm curious though. Um, this is a BNL podcast. Why are we uh, Why are we interviewing a legendary country artist? That is an amazing question. In 2001, he recorded a song written by Ed Robertson. He makes me want her again on the album All the Way to There, which is his 13th studio album. As far as I know, at this time. This is the only Ed Robertson song to be written that has been originally sung by another artist first and never sung by Bare Naked Ladies. So with that long intro, and I could have gone further because he's done a million and one things. It is my pleasure to introduce to you tonight, Mr. John Barry. John, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, but you put me to sleep with that intro. God, <laughs> you're all that. 
You have such a storied career. <laughs> You've done a lot of things, John. <laughs> I've had, uh, yeah, I've had a lot of free time. That's what that boils down to. <laughs> but I have had some good stuff I've gotten. I've been very fortunate to get to do a lot of fun things and uh, feel pretty blessed. So. Well, as I was mentioning before, you, you've had a very storied career. I'd like to go back to the very beginning. For people who haven't heard the story, and of course, in researching more about you, I've, I've read more about this, but I want to introduce you to, to B&L fans as much as possible. Can you tell us how you came into this career? Can you regale us with your tale? Oh, my goodness. Well, I, uh, I started playing guitar when I was 12, and I lived in Atlanta, Georgia. And I started playing the guitar because my older brother played guitar and I thought it was pretty cool. And, you know, because I had grown up around a lot of music and, and listening to a lot of music. And, uh, you know, at, th at that time as a kid, um, of course, that was in 19, you know, uh, what year was that? 1971, 72. Uh, FM radio really wasn't a big thing by, at that point. And, you know, AM radio is a lot to listen to, stations listen to. And, uh, format lines weren't exactly the strictest. And uh, I mean, if you think about it, in 1972, uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer was on the radio. Um, uh, Cat Stevens was on the radio. John Denver was on the radio. Uh, Charlie Rich was on the same station doing behind closed doors. I mean, you know, it was just a wide variety of stuff, you know, mm -hmm. Chicago, just all, all kind of music. So and 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 some of my favorite was the soul, what they call the Philly soul sound. These groups that just put this great soul music together, and the shy lights and the stylistics and the dramatics, and oh, all yeah. that music played on the same station, you know. And I, I just uh, grew up listening to a wide variety, obviously, and started playing the guitar in '72. And I guess I've been playing the guitar about four months, and it was is. And at that time, in the and we 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 went to elementary school through seventh grade, and then high school started in eighth grade, and we didn't have middle school back in those days, and um, so I started playing guitar summer between seventh and eighth grade, and I started high school, and you know being in high school is hard enough, you know, starting off in high school, and um, making a lot of new friends and different things, and that guitar was kind of a little security blanket and a little bit of an icebreaker, you know, of sorts. And, and um, over Thanksgiving break, unexpectedly, we moved uh, to the other side of Atlanta. And I went from knowing everybody in school and having grown up with all the same kids all through elementary school and started high school with all my buddies to, to going to this new school and knowing nobody. And um, my best friend became my guitar. And that's when I really, I mean, it took me a long time to make friends. I, I had a really hard time with that move emotionally, and and uh, it was just very difficult for me. But like I said, my guitar just became my best friend. I ended up making some some lifelong friends at that new school, um, musician friends, and it really changed the trajectory of my life. And and uh, uh, I went from being a real sports guy to being a real music guy. My dad helped me build a studio in the basement of, of my folks' house, and had no idea what I was doing. I hope nobody ever finds any of those first records I recorded. Cause I <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and you think I'm joking, but I'm not, they really suck, but it was a great learning experience, you know, and, and um, it, it, it sort of pushed me on that path. And then I made a few studio albums at a few different places. And a, a friend called uh, who used to come hear me play around Atlanta a lot, whenever I was there playing, 
and they said, if you come up here to Athens, Georgia, would you got, would you come up here and play if we got you booked? And I said, sure. And, um, I ended up playing there for eight years. I ended up wow. getting a house gig at one place for two and a half years and moved around to different places and ended up in playing different places for a long time. And, and I say that because I was, I was, I was pretty, I was a senior member by the time I got a record deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of these cats, like my son, yeah, my, my son's trying to, he's working on, you know, trying to get a deal together. And he's, you know, he's 26. I was 35 when I got a record deal. So, wow. Yeah. I, was, I was like grandpa. <laughs> I needed, I needed a walker. And I, but, but it, you know, I, it, it I, I ended up, uh, I ended up going to Nashville and um, I'd recorded six albums before I ever went to Nashville to work on trying to get a major label deal. And uh, wow. So, by that time, I was ready. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say, John. Uh, one of the things that uh, stand out about you, uh, to me, and I, I was a, I was still am, but a huge country music fan uh, in the, the early to mid '90s. Um, and uh, one thing that stands uh, apart for me with you is, is your amazing voice. Uh, from the, the, the Christmas songs that you do, "A Holy Night," um, to your, to your solo stuff. You have a, a fantastic voice. In fact, I know that you, it's been said you have one of the most remarkable voices in music. Um, and I hear a lot of gospel in your songs. Like there's there's a there's definitely a gospel edge at times in your voice. Um, what kind of music did you grow up with, or did that what, did that come from somewhere, or was that just uh, natural for you? Yeah. Well, my mom loved gospel music, and I grew up in in church and. And, and still to this day, I'm a very devout believer and follower, follower of Christ. And that music has always been a lot to me. And, um, but if you listen to music in the early 70s, when I was really starting to learn about music and, and, and was emulating what these guys were singing on the radio, if you listen to John Denver and to mm, yeah. uh, Jim Croce, and you listen to um, the Carpenters, um, if you if you can, and <laughs> but those people they and and gospel music was real. Um, it was very um, part of what gospel music was like. And singers during that time frame, they would hold notes until the chord changed. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and we're now we refer to that as over singing. You know? <laughs> and and uh, and you know so and but that's just how. I grew up, and I'm having to really kind of re over the over recent years, the past ten years, I have to rethink how I approach songs because you know I'll, I'll hear recordings back. At first, when I record stuff, I go, "Oh, that sounds great," and I'm, I'm happy with that. And then down the line, I hear it back. I go, "Dad, gone, John, you're over singing like crazy. Quit doing that." <laughs> and and I and I find that some of the greatest records out there, and I mean this with the most respect especially for Alan Jackson. Alan Jackson, I think he's I, I think he's wonderful. He's written some great songs, he's recorded great records and he's a great singer. He he really tells a story when he sings. Mm. But I refer to Alan as as he talks with melody. Mm. It's uh, not yeah. so much okay. like singing. He talks with melody. And right. and and it's converse it's conversational singing. He's not singing at you, you know? He's just telling you a story, and it's right, the right. coolest thing. And and I've had I've really had to think about that. And and because, like I said, I, I grew up in a time when we just hold out notes until there's no more air or the chord changed. You know, and right. um, and that's just not the way 
modern music isn't that way. Um, a lot there's a lot of singers out there that are, that are successful and put records out, but if you just listen to them singing, them just singing their song, uh, you take all the instruments away. They're not the greatest singers in the world. Hmm. But see, that's not the point. That the point is, are you telling the story and are you reaching the listener? Right. That's the mm-hmm. point. Right. It's 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 not all about singing every note perfect. That's a different art. That's not modern music. And, and so it's just about, it's just, it's, it's just a different way of doing it and thinking it through. And uh, so that's kind of how I've, you know, I, you know, I hear all these things about, you know, great singer, greatest singer, whatever that and two bucks will get you a nice cup of coffee, you know, <laughs> but, but the most, the most important, most important thing to me is, is do I sing a song and you hear it and go, God, that's me. He's talking yeah. about me. Right. Or or I sing a song. I sing a song like standing on the edge of goodbye and standing on the edge of goodbye. And and and, and you hear that song and you go, oh, my God, it's a story of my life. I'm, I'm I'm not living this nightmare by myself. Somebody else knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it's that's what it's well, about. You know, and you wrote and you wrote you that one, right? You... I can't eat and I can't sleep. Sometimes I find it hard to breathe. I break down. Yeah, yeah, I wrote that with a, a buddy of mine, Stuart Harris, who um, I had the course standing on the edge of goodbye for about a year and a half, two years. And I just had a block. I couldn't get any further than writing this chorus. And uh, Chuck Howard, the guy that produced that record, he said, you know, you ought to get together with Stuart Harris and finish that. And Stuart's one of the guy that wrote No One Else on Earth for Winona, which is one of my favorite songs. Oh, yeah. And, uh, right. I got yeah. together with Stuart. Yeah, what a groove tune, man. And, <laughs> yeah. But I got together with Stuart Harrison, and, you know, an hour and a half later, we're done. And wow. It was, my, you know, yeah. it, was the, it was the R&R number one record. So. Well, can I talk about another song that, that you kind of, to me, it really spoke a lot of, like, that the idea of what you were saying about, like, he's singing about me. Like, this speaks to people. Uh, and it's one of your earlier songs. It, it's called The Graduation Song. It's a really great soulful exploration of the the graduation and experience um i think it would make (laughs) i think it would even make the like most staunch and stoic football player who is currently graduating cry it it really 25 (laughs) years later brought all that flooding back for me did did you write this song at a time of your own graduation like in is this a song yeah. about like leaving behind and, and moving forward? Do, do you still have contact with those friends that you knew in high school? You know, it's, it's funny. I wrote that the spring before graduation. And uh, my, it was the spring of 1977. And I, I wrote that and just had it. It was just, you know, sort of in my list of papers and, you know, and had a little demo tape of it I recorded and, you know, on a little cassette deck or something and, and um, uh, played it here and there. And it ended up being on a little, one of those little homemade records I did. And, and, uh, but you know, that song has had a life. I, it, I've had so many people um, use that song in recent years at their high school graduations. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I've actually been asked to come and sing it at, at, at a couple of graduations 
as well as they've asked me to be the commencement speaker, and uh, which I, I highly recommend they get someone else for that <laughs> honor. <laughs> um, but 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 yeah, it's a, it's just a song I wrote about you know uh, you know because you know the those just different classes that I had that that you know just my senior year and you know you just don't you know so many of those folks I, I mean I graduated from high school and there were three of those people I saw periodically and the rest of them I I, I didn't see until my 10th or yeah my 10-year reunion it was the next wow. time I saw them and then I haven't and then I unfortunately have not been able to make it back to any other ones the uh, and unfortunately, at my age now, the only time I, I've seen them in some of those folks in recent years is when is at the at a service when one one of my one of our friends passed away, and you know, and uh, just you know, a lot of life goes by, and uh, you know, this this moment in time that is so filled with dreams and hope for the future, and um, this 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 little world, this little world of four hallways and and a lunchroom and a football stadium and a basketball gym, this little world that means so much that you carry it with you. People carry high school days with them their almost their whole lives. It's just such mm, a right. meaningful time in people's lives, and. Um, and and they they and especially folks that move away from their hometowns, which most people, I mean, you don't meet a lot of people these days. Or you you come here to Gallatin, Tennessee, and run into folks that were that were born and raised here. You know, yeah, uh, most folks are are they and they're in and out of different places. And um, but th- those days will hang. With, they, I mean, I still fondly. I mean, I, I didn't go to college, and, and maybe that's different. Maybe the folks that go to college, it's a little different because it, it's a different time. But, but there's something about those high school days, and, and that song is really seems to have touched the uh, hearts of a lot of different people, and it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. No, I mean, right. like, even the – like, college was a good thing for me, but at the same time, like, I'll never forget my high school days, and it, and it really was a big – period of my life and and from a cognitive behavioral direction like it's a big part of like who we start to become who we are and start to understand ourselves and you really did capture in that that moment like that feeling of leaving this secondary home this important experience behind yeah you 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 really hit the nail on the head when you said you, you you develop who you are as a person because man i tell you what I'm not a whole lot different than when I was in high school. Hopefully I'm a little quieter and not so obnoxious. But but I still wear construction boots and blue jeans and t-shirts. And I'm 60. And you know, I hadn't changed one bit since high school as far as that goes. And uh but but yeah, it, it it's a it's a it's a time in your life that really it's a it's a pretty special thing. It really can be. Matter of yeah. fact, I can remember I can remember a number of years back when my my older son, I, I've got three children. My daughter, Taylor Marie, is our oldest. And then I got two boys, Sean and Kaylin. And I can remember to this day, um, the day he started his senior year, uh, I said, hey, before you go, before you head out to, to drive to school, I said, let's go for a walk. And we went for a walk around our little farm there. And I just, I told him, I said, man, this is it. This is the year. I said, you soak this up. 
He was on the football team. He was on the varsity football team on the starting lineup. And I said, man, I said, soak it up. Do everything mm-hmm. you can do, yeah. do. Go to every basketball game. Go to every football practice. Of course, you'll be at every game. And then when basketball season, go to every basketball game. Go to prom. Go to homecoming. Go to every event you got. This is the, going to be the biggest year. It's going to be one of the most memorable years of your life. Don't miss a minute. Yeah. And it, it and he didn't. And it was it's it's still. I mean, here he's you know he's fixing to turn twenty eight, and and uh, it's still he he's thanks me every now and then for that little walk around the farm before he went off to start his uh, first day of senior year in high school. So mm-hmm. it's been pretty cool for him. Now, at, when you were early on in your career, and I'm not sure at what point you, you actually had a pretty catastrophic accident and uh, a car accident. Yeah. Is that right? Now, was well, that while I, you were it in was in November. Or? It was, no, yeah. November. It was November first, uh, November eighth of nineteen eighty-one. I graduated high school in seventy-seven, and um, I was r- actually riding my motorcycle uh, through a parking lot, and a lady ran a stop sign in the parking lot and hit me, and um, and broke both my legs and my left hip, and um, and it, you know, I was working at a warehouse in Atlanta, a manufacturing warehouse. And I could not go back to doing that kind of work anymore. I was in the hospital for about a month and a half. And mm-hmm. then afterwards, I was in rehab for a while. But I, I just could not go. to. I, I walked with a cane for years because it's just such a bad uh, limp and weakness in the legs. And, and yeah. um, but it takes a lot the, to the recover very, from that. The, the, very bright, the very bright silver lining around that very dark cloud was I could sit on a stool and play the guitar. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, and that's and, and that's that's how I got into music full time. I got run over by a car, and I got into music full time. So <laughs> gave you plenty of time to play the guitar. Oh yeah, and uh, you know it was it was I, I guess probably um, you know I mean I was I, I I barely made a living. I was playing little clubs and little places, and organizations would hire me to come play, and and uh, I ate lots of frozen pizzas and big K cola, <laughs> and. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and it wasn't until I, I really wasn't making a living at it until I got the gig in Athens, Georgia in 1985. And uh, that just changed. That just changed my whole life with that, that move to Athens. Mm. What a great town. And a big music scene there, too. Really big. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, what was really funny about the music scene in, in Athens. Um, every, at that time, mid, mid-80s, REM was roaring, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, B- B-52s and yep. Pylon, there, yeah. all these groups out of Athens, you know, and they would just roar. And everybody, all the local bands were doing that alternative, that new alternative style music, mm-hmm. you know, except me. <laughs> I was doing James Taylor and, and John Denver and Cat Stevens and Hank Jr. and Bill and, and uh, 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 Brown Eyed Girl, the Dan Morrison and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And nobody in town was doing anything like that. I was alternative to the alternative. <laughs> and, uh, and, and and I had a huge, actually my bass player, Michael, and I, and Mike's still playing bass with me all these years later, um, my, we had a huge following with the college students. And it, it just, like I said, I played this one club uh, for two years and then left there and started my own club with some guys. And, and that list lasted a little while until I realized they had no idea what they were doing. 
And then, and then I just started playing different places around Athens and I played there for six more years. And, and I ended up building a farm north of town, bought several large tracts of land, built a house, you know, had a, we had an RV we traveled around in, sound and light gear. You know, we were, we were living the dream, living large, you know, <laughs> and uh, it was, it was, it was, it was crazy. It was just one of those things that just sort of took on a life of its own. And, and uh, it was, I, we, we referred to our show as the Rocky Horror Picture Show of Acoustic Acts. <laughs> because, because the second set, we do usually three sets a night. And the second set did not change for like, what, five years? It was the exact same songs every single night. But they knew what was coming. They knew wow. what the next song, and they would sing, and they would stand in the chairs and drink beer, and, and just, it was, hyster- it was hysterical. It was and a party. we would just have a lot of fun. It was, it was just a party. It was just more fun. It was just so much fun. And, uh, and, but they knew, they knew what was coming and it, it just the way it worked out. It was just, it was a lot of fun, you know, it was a good time. Well, I figured a lot of things would come out of this interview, John, but picturing you as Dr. Frankenfurter was not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I told my, my, my wife and I were talking a while back and she said, if you could change anything about your career, what would you change? I said, <laughs> I wouldn't have taken it so seriously. <laughs> Um, and, and I said, not the business part of it, but the music part of it, because Mm. after I got my record deal, the, you know, the record label, they, they weren't familiar with what I did in Athens. They never saw me playing the clubs and us roaring, you know, and just having a great time and just people dancing in the chairs. They heard me sing and they said, Ooh, we gotta, we gotta record that voice and put it out there with all the, the right songs that to maximize his vocal whatever it is you know okay and right as opposed to if i had if i could do it over now i would say let's take what we created in athens and multiply that mm. let's take that right. thing and make it huge and and that's what you know some of these other groups have done that and uh um and and it, it turns into you know and but but you know i i I'm doing I'm doing the path I'm supposed to do and, and I'm fine, you know, I'm good. So <laughs> Well and and talking about that, um, I mean one of the things about your music and I and I get what you're saying too. I mean I do I I dabble in a little songwriting on the side, but when I found out that I was gonna be part of this interview too, John, and, and uh, you know, when um I mentioned that to my wife, you know, we both were both big country fans. We remember where we were when we first heard, you know, your love amazes me and because uh, that's how, you know, much of an impact it had and uh over the last couple of days when I was going through some of your catalog and listening, you know, a couple of songs that jumped out would be like, you can't unmake love or sanctuary. Um, we have a one-year-old son and you know, we, we broke into tears. We literally are sitting on the couch bowling. Um, and I think that combination between your voice and the storytelling that you do, um, you know, what, what goes into the process for you when it comes to writing or selecting the music that you do? Like what, what, uh, what is the process there? Well, writing songs, um, I, I'm not a real prolific writer. Uh, I, I got friends that can spit out hits before breakfast, you know. I'm not that guy. Um, matter of fact, I, my wife told me, she said, don't forget you're writing tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I don't want to write tomorrow. <laughs> but, it, but I had a writing appointment with some really some great writers, and I found it just took me a little while to get in the groove. And then we, we ended up writing a pretty cool little tune today, and I'm really excited about it. And, um, so it just takes a lot to get me to do that. And, 
and and I just have to get into it, you know, and 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 then I enjoy it once I'm mm-hmm. a part of it. But um, but I, I look for certain things. I'm a little boring um, because I've I've always been very conscious about what kind of songs I do because when I was got my when I got my record deal, I, my daughter was two, and then we had two more kids come along with the, the two boys, and so for many many years there were little ones riding in the car when I was listening to songs I had written demo wise, or I was listening to songwriter demos. And I would, before I know it, I got little kids in the car that are singing songs that I have not even listened to four times yet. (laughs) They're they're, they're listening to these, they hear these songs and they pick them up and they, and they learn the lyrics so quick. They just, you know, and, and I'm like, well, I, you know, I, I should be careful about what I'm listening to in here. You know, right. and so I came up with the mini. It, I get it, it, it because, and I, I'm thinking the same thing for all these other parents that are my age that are buying my records. The same thing. I'm, do I want them riding around in their minivan with their kids in car seats singing songs about stuff they shouldn't be singing songs about? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, okay. and 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 so I had the minivan test, and if the song didn't pass the minivan test, I wouldn't record it. And I had a lot of flack from that from yeah. the record of the record label. And they're like, man, you can't base that on that. And I said, I can, and I will, because that's just that's the kind of, because that's, you know, because that's just who I am. I'm, you know, I'm not going to sing songs. I don't want my kid going, yeah, picked up a girl at the bar. She's sitting on my tailgate on my truck. You know, I'm not going, I'm not going to have my kids learn those kind of songs when they're five years old. And yeah. and they will. Oh my gosh, they'll they'll be singing that stuff. Oh, they, that's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's because the parents are the ones that buy my music. Now, if 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 my market is young adults and, and, you know, late teens, young adults, you don't have to worry about that. But my market is, you know, folks with, with kids. And at least at that time it was folks with kids. Now my, my market's folks with grandkids. So, but, <laughs> but, you know, so it's just, a, it's just where i was that's where my where i stand with my faith and my moral value and whatnot and that's just where it's at so well i think your fans appreciate that and stand by you for that yeah i think so i think you know but it's um matter of fact i have a lot of people come to the shows and matter of fact i i do a songs and stories show uh, that's just me and my guitar and sometimes one or two other players and tell lots of stories matter of fact i've got a book called songs and stories that's got a cd in it and a lot of the stories i tell along with the lyrics to some of the songs and and just tell these stories about these songs and and i'll i'll ask i'll i'll say i see i'll see a lot of folks in the audience that are you know 15 to 25 and and i'll say how many, how many folks do we have here that are at one time in your life your mom had you in the minivan strapped in and you had to listen to her sing kiss me in the car over and over again and <laughs> needless to say get lost get lots of chuckles about that lots of hands in the air you know because they grew up listening to my music and and uh, right. because their 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 parents were fans and uh, and it's it's pretty cool now that they're you know coming out and i'm, I'm sure uh bnl's the same way i'm sure a lot of the fans that they had they're growing up now and they still mm-hmm. got those fans and i'm sure they're you know uh the, the 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 kids are coming and they're fans too and that's pretty cool thing man pretty cool deal yeah well and speaking of your song choices i'm I, and bnl as well i want to kind of drift us toward that for a few minutes if that's all right yeah. you would you would 
picked up this song or, or Ed wrote this song for you is the way I had heard it. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that came to be? We actually wrote that song together. Oh. Yeah. Tell us we about were that. In France. Yeah, we went. Miles Copeland um, at one time was the manager for the band The Police. And his brothers are Stuart and Ian Copeland. Mm-hmm. And oh, the, yeah. the, the two of them, along with Sting, made up the police, of course. And, um, and uh, he still managed Sting for many years. I don't know if he is now or not. Um, but for a long, I don't know how many years, Miles uh, owned a chateau in southern France. Really cool place, built in the 1400s or something. I don't know, 1600s. And a uh, really cool place. And he would have... Uh, twice a year, he would have songwriting retreats at the Chateau, Chateau Marroquois in southern France and um, uh, the town of Bordeaux. And um, I got invited to go twice. And one of the years, uh, Ed was there. And, um, got, and, you know, Miles would, he would put three of us together. He, he felt that out of the three of you, one of you is going to be on. And the creativity, creativity is going to fuel the other two to wake up. And, and it really works. Getting together as, with two other folks to write really is a great idea. It works really well. And um, so uh, the th- yeah, I, I can't remember who our co-writer was. I'm sorry. But, um, but Ed and I uh, and our co-writer, the three of us, we got together and we wrote this song, uh, He Makes Me Want Her Again. She's made it all work out way it was meant to be the trouble with doing that is not doing that with me he makes her happy he makes her whole and he makes me want her And uh, it's just a really interesting approach to this song. It's just really a pretty cool deal. Yeah. What, have, y'all, there, have, y'all, have y'all ever heard, have a chance to hear the demo of it? I've never heard the demo of it. I don't know about you, Jeff. No, just no, just the album version. Oh, I guess yeah, yeah, I guess you just heard the recording of it. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I so I heard your on recording, all the, all the and I've heard Ed's version that he did for his bathroom sessions on online. But never the right. demo. Oh, cool. Yeah, well, it, 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 uh, I'm sure the, the demos are, are pretty rough that we cut out at the, at the, um, at the Chateau of Marquois. And, um, uh, but, but it was just, you know, lyrically, it was just a, it's just a cool story. You know, you know, this guy, he sees his former girlfriend or former wife with her new love and, and how it's just changed. She's just bright and, and she's just radiant and she's beautiful. And, he makes me want her again, you know? Well, it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a relatable song. It's something we can, you know, most of us can relate to because I think we've been there. Yeah. It's a beautiful. Yeah. And then, then she sees him, he sees his former love with her child and how, what a wonderful mom Mm -hmm. she is and, and, and what a great kid. And and he makes me want her again. It's just, it's a real interesting twist on a a storyline. And I, 
really had a great time writing that with it. That was a lot of fun. He, his, his one comment, he kept saying over and over, he says, my mates will not believe I'm writing a country song. <laughs> <laughs> I think it makes sense, though. His voice is very country. And, and he, you know, he had a lot of country influence himself as he was recording and writing and, and throughout his early years. Yeah. So it makes a yeah. lot of sense for him to be writing a country song. And like a lot of his songs that he writes for BNL also have that country kind of feel to it at times. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> now, I hear the acoustic guitar. I hear the piano and the synth. Is that a steel pedal guitar in the background on your on your version of that song? Well, your song. I mean, it's your song. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's pedal steel on there. Yeah. And is that your wife doing the backing vocals and the harmonies? Yes. This the My song. Wife Robin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the whole song is just beautifully produced. Everything just really melds back really well together your soulful voice all of these different instruments your wife's voice doing that that wonderful harmony and backing um it really makes me feel like the song could have been like on in hollywood it could have been in like a part of a sad montage like an act two moment in a major motion picture um what do you think and kind I of think prevented? i think it should be too like <laughs> do you have any idea what's prevented that from happening like hollywood Let's make this happen. Come on. Well, that, that's a whole nother world I know nothing about, man. Trying to get songs placed in film. That's that's a whole new animal. <laughs> but you, I would love to now, see that. I was going to say now, you have had a song in a film, though, because you did the uh, the title track um, to uh, the Beautifully Broken movie. Um, how did oh, that man, come what, about? Well, you, how much time you got? as much time as you need <laughs> listen this 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 is a crazy story okay okay back in 19 back in 1982 i was playing clubs in athens georgia and if you're going to play king of the hill i was king of the hill in athens georgia i had i, I had huge crowd i was playing one night a week and making more money than all the other bands in town together it was stupid. We just had a huge following. And I play every Saturday night at this one club. The last two years I, li I, I played in there, played in Athens. And I had a farm outside of town that my wife and I built. And by the time we left there, we had 168 acres. Just a cool spread, beautiful place. And, and we're doing really well. Uh, and, but I was driving home from my Saturday night gig. And it's about two o'clock in the morning, making that 20 mile drive out to town. And the radio DJ, I had the radio on, DJ came on and says, Hey, we got a brand new song from Joe Diffie. And I'm like, Oh, I love Joe Diffie. So I turn it up and he sings the song Ships That Don't Come In. And it really, it just brought me to tears when he sang that line And those who stand on empty shores and spit against the wind, and those who wait forever for ships that don't come in. It hit me like a freight train. And for mm -hmm. the first time, it occurred to me, dang, dang, man, I'm, I'm married. I got a little kid. I got a, a farm I built down here. Maybe this is it for me. Maybe this is all I'm going to do. And not that that's not good enough. It is. But but I had had bigger dreams than that. I'd be dreamed of touring around the country, around the nation, you know, the, the continent or around the world. And, and 
I got home and I woke my wife up and told her about this song. And through tears, I told her what I was thinking. And we came up that night with a plan to go to Nashville every six weeks and do an industry showcase, start off small and build it as best we can and, and see if we can't garner some attention and get a record deal. And if we couldn't do it in a year, every six weeks for a year, and if, if, we, if we came up empty, we'd punt and, and regroup and do something else. So May of 1992, we went and did our first industry showcase. We sent out 250 invitations to industry, you know, folks that are on those industry showcase lists, you know. And we did our first showcase at Douglas Corner. And we had a few friends and uh, uh, some locals that showed up to see what was going on. And, and, uh, and this one out of 250 people on that list, one guy shows up, Perky Williams. And Herky worked for Jimmy Bowen, who at that time was the president of Capitol Records. And he was like, dang, dang. He said, I'd heard about you from my sister, who was a student at University of Georgia in Athens. And he's, he's like, I just didn't know you were this good. And, and he <laughs> said, you got to, he calls me the next morning. He says, Bowen wants to see you. Jimmy Bowen wants to have lunch with you. And I said, dude, I'm already back in Athens. You know, we couldn't afford hotel rooms in Nashville. We finished the gig and drove home, you know. So we yeah. went back a few weeks later and I did a private showcase for Jimmy Bowen. And he said, I guess you came here looking for a record deal. And I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, let's do this. Let's put this thing together. And we did, you know, that's that back in the nineties when they were treating musicians like spaghetti and throwing them against the wall and see who would stick, you know? Right. And, uh, yeah. but let's, let's jump ahead two years ago when I was asked to sing the song for this beautifully broken movie. Okay. The, the young lady who wrote the song, all of a sudden her mind just, her, just her name just slipped right out of my mind. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. <laughs> oh, I hate it when that happens. Anyway, Chuck Howard is my old producer, produced all the hits you guys have ever heard me do. And he calls me up. He says, I've got this movie, Beautifully Broken, and I got this song. You got you to gotta hear the song. I sent you a rough cut of the film. Take a look at it and let me know if you'd like to be a part of this. I'll send you the song tomorrow when I get back to the office. So I watched the rough cut of this film, and it's fabulous heartbreaking to watch some of mm-hmm. because it, it's a true story takes place in africa during the genocide in 1994 i didn't know anything about it i was busy raising children and i had brain surgery that year that's a whole nother book and i had a couple of number one records and so life was busy I, I just didn't know that was going on on the other side of the world so i watched this film and it's breathtaking and i, I called him i said i don't care what the song is i'm in if, if me being a part of it will encourage anybody to see this film i'm in so the next day I get the song and it's the song beautifully broken. It's like, oh my gosh. You're beautifully broken. You're made to be whole again. Even a million stars doesn't change who you are. God's still working. You're beautifully What a great piece of music. So I record it, and it ends up being the first time I'm back on country radio in like 22 years. Had a top 30 song, first time in 22 years. Well, the song was written by Jenny Slate Lee. She lives right here in Gallatin, the little town I live in, northeast of Af- of Nashville. <laughs> Let's That's go so back, cool. Okay. 
way back. Let's go way back to 1992 or 1991. Joe Disby's in the recording studio with Joe's producer, Mr. Slate. I can't remember his first name. And Jenny goes to work with her dad that day, and she's sitting in the in the control room while Joe Diffie's on the other side of the glass singing the song Ships That Don't Come In. Oh, my goodness. And then 22 that... years later, she's the one who writes the song that gets me back on the radio for the first time in 22 years. That is so amazing. I love coincidences like that. Isn't that crazy? I know it's that a is... long, crazy, long, stupid, long, evolved story, but it's just it's just crazy how here here's this you know her her dad produced the record of this song and I actually had a writing appointment today with Gibson who wrote that song. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and and, and a, from the Gibson Miller band, and uh, it's just just crazy. Well, and hopefully that means we'll be able what, to what, see what, you on the country music charts again. I would like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, and you were saying, like, at that time, like, you had felt like, is there more than this? And I think another really great thing that, in reading a lot about your life, um, not just about as a singer, but also as a person, like, one of the things that's really kind of come through is how much people like you as a person and want you as a person in life. It, it reminds me a lot of Kevin Hearn, who's in, in Bare Naked Ladies, how people always such, say such great things about him as a, as a person as well as as a musician. I hear the same kind of things about you. And, and it's not just words, because one of the things that really kind of comes through and, and goes to prove this is, for people who don't know, you just had throat cancer and just got done fighting and recovering from, from throat cancer over the last year. And one of the things that happened during that was like Vince Gill, Garth Brooks, the Oak Ridge Boys, they all did this huge concert to help raise money to help you with the cancer treatments. And that's not something we hear a lot of happening in our world. Pe people going, you know what, here's a, a star, a, a musician, and we're going to go on, we're going to raise money because he's ha he has this illness that we he needs to recover from. We're going to go out and help him. And I think that goes a long ways into saying, like, the type of person you are, that they will come and have your back in a moment like that and, and do it willingly. Uh, I think it speaks volumes about you. Well, I, I tell you, I, I, get, I, get, I, get, I get teary. I think about it. It was, it was the most – it took me and my wife about a week to get over that night. I mean, it was so emotional. And I mean, you know, just because I had no idea. I, I knew a few people that were coming, but then, you know, Clint Black shows up and and Garth Brooks shows up and Trisha and and just all, all these people. It was just it was just it was stunning. It was just mind stunning, you know. Mm -hmm. it, it was just hard to fathom that all those people were in the room. I had, I had people say that they've been to a CMA events that they, there weren't that many artists. <laughs> and it was just crazy. <laughs> it, was, it was just such a blessing and, and, uh, and, and the generosity of their time and efforts. It was just beyond any, anything I could have ever imagined ever. We, we just, yeah. we, um, not too long ago, my my man, my my publicist uh, Bev Moser, uh, who's also a photographer, she shot pictures all all night long, and she actually made um, photo books 
of pictures and 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 quotes of good wishes from artists and gave them to me and Robin and had some made for us to give to the, my band and other folks on our team that were there. And, and I just had a hard time. I wasn't able to look at it until recently. It was just because it, it was just so, it was difficult to look at and I see pictures of me at, you know, cause I, I lost, a, you know, 60, 68 pounds and, and, wow. uh, during the treatment. And, and it was just, some of us just hard to look at. And, but looking at it just in, in recent days, it was just, it's just overwhelming. Mm. It's overwhelming to look at it and to, to see the generosity and, 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 you know, you talk about feeling love in a room. Oh God. man, <laughs> it was unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Now a friend of mine, Sharon hood, uh, it says that you're one of her favorite people, by the way, I was told her that we were talking with you and she's a huge fan. I invited her to come on. She was like, no, this is your interview. Take it. Uh, but she did have a question. She wanted me to ask a couple of them. Um, she wanted me to ask, like, is, did you have to retrain your vocal cords after after the surgery and after the, the chemotherapy and things, or did they just come back naturally? Well, um, the, the, the biggest thing that happened, of course, you know, I had, uh, for your listeners that, that don't know, of course, you know, the cancer I had was really, really treatable. I did, uh, I still have my tonsils, and I had a tumor in each one of them. Wow. And so they removed my tonsils and, but because the, uh, the tonsils had, one of them had actually grown, the, the tumor had grown out of the tonsil and was touching the back of my throat. They had to, you know, excavate a little of that out of there, you know, and clean that up. And then I, they radiated the crap out of me. I had 35 radiation treatments, wow. and eight chemotherapy treatments, but near the end of it, my throat, uh, exterior, looked like a leather football, very oh. brown and scaly looking. But my wife did not tell me she was concerned about a white stripe across my throat. And then we were at, at, the, at the doctor's one day and she, she finally spoke up and she said, doctor, it, it's, it's something wrong. There's this white stripe across his throat right here. And he looked and he said, oh, no, no, no. We knew John was a singer. So we programmed the radiation waves to go around his vocal cords and it left that white stripe. Wow. How crazy is that? <laughs> that is amazing. The, 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 yeah, the talent that God gives doctors and, and men and women to, to create a device that will kill these bad cells, but it's programmable to avoid certain things. It's just, it's crazy. And uh, it was just a real blessing that, that they took such care. Um, and so when I got back to singing, um, uh, it, 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 it wasn't too bad. It was mainly just from, from not having some mm -hmm. for so long because the, 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 the treatments didn't so much affect me as just the not singing did. Um, it's like, it's, it's like if you work out all the time and all of a sudden you take three months off, you know, those muscles are going to have to be. Uh, kind of retrained a little bit to to do what they did, and uh, mm. so it's the same kind of thing. Just the, the get back to singing and and just doing as much as possible. And um, yeah, you know, I do a Christmas tour each year, and every year we do between twenty and twenty five cities. And this this past year was our twenty third year doing it. And um, wow, somebody asked me before the tour about how many years do you think you'll continue to do the tour, and I said I'll let you know in January. <laughs> Mainly because uh, it, it was like. I'll see if I can get through this one, and and right. you know after the cancer and all the treatments, and if everything works okay, we'll we'll, we'll know in January, you know, 
and right. um, and I actually uh, I did fine. Um, more fatigue than anything else, just from the, uh, the chemotherapy hangs with you for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the that's the nastiest thing I've ever had to do in my whole life. And uh, if if you ever know anyone who's going through chemotherapy, just uh, throw an extra prayer in them for them. They're they're facing stuff that nobody should have to face. That's the most difficult that most difficult part of of anything I've ever been through. You know, one thing, John, that um, I really admire about you, obviously, besides your music and how much it's. I mean, I know your music has impacted my life. It's been there for a lot of decades. It's told it's told my story. But, you know, I hear I hear about the accident and your response is, but at least I was able to sit there and I had, I had my guitar. And then, you you know, you had the, the situation with the brain surgery and uh, your wife's involvement. And, you know, you, you, it almost seems like you, you kind of take a very positive approach on that. Um, and I've watched the videos with you and, and Robin uh, throughout the whole cancer thing. You know, one thing about you that's inspirational, extremely inspirational, is just how positive you always seem to be. And, and I, I'm just curious, what gives you that strength? Like, what, what is it that just, you know, uh, keeps you going? Because I think a lot of people can learn from that. Well, I'll tell you, and I don't, I don't want to, I certainly don't want this to, to be some big religious thing, because it, it's not that. It's just my walk with Christ is, is, is such that, but you ever hear, you ever hear people say, yeah, one day I'm going to stand in front of God and he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've heard that all my life. And, um, and, and, and I, and I always put an ad on there that I don't, I just, I, I would love to hear my heavenly father say that, but I don't want to hear it followed up by, but did you have to whine all the time? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, uh, so, because. You know, I, I'm walking the path I was given. This is my this is my life, and 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 I'm I'm walking the path. I I don't want to complain about it. I don't want to whine about it. Um, for me, that I follow the teachings of my faith, and that this is I'm doing what I'm called to do, and this is my path. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not anybody else's. This is mine, and. I can't whine about it. I just, I have to go with it. This is it. This is what I've been, been given to do and my task and my joy to do it. So I just want to do it best I can. Well, and as you were saying, like, this is your path, you know, this is part of your process. This is part of your path. And, and you being able to share that and pass that along without whining, as, as you mentioned, to be able to pass that along to other people. Like, can we expect any songs related to this process or how this affected your life or how this has made things different for you? Well, I'm just getting back to writing uh, along with songwriting. Actually, I'm working with John St. Augustine to write a book. And oh, wow. um, so, so we're, we're, we're going to see where that leads. And I, I'm sure that there'll be some subject matter song wise that are going to talk about uh, as much as I hate the word journey um that will you know that I'll, I'll address this journey that i've been on and uh, mm-hmm. uh the walk of the, the walk that i've been doing and so um but it's it was it's one of those things that's kind of at first my manager brian was kind of he was talking to my wife about it about you know just, i don't understand why john hadn't sat down and and written anything about this yet and and she said look he's still in it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you don't yeah. just you don't you don't just come home from the hospital and you're over it and, and you know I'm still in the midst of the forest. I'm starting to get to the edge of the outside and I can look back and look at it a little bit now. And so 
I think I'm starting to get to that point to be able to, you know, like today's the first time I've had a songwriting appointment. So in, in, in two, well, a year and a half. And uh, it's pretty cool to be able to get back to that. Yeah. yeah. We definitely look forward to what comes out of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look hey, forward to you, see where it goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you were mentioning the Christmas tour and of course, one of your big songs is Oh Holy Night. Oh holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. And Sharon was mentioning the She's seen you in concert four times and that you're the only performer that she's ever seen that a specific song like Oh Holy Night gets requested everywhere that she goes to see you um, and that you sing it a cappella, and it's just amazing. And so, so my question is like, what, what is, do you think it is about this song and, and your rendition of the song, which I have to say is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, that, yours is my favorite version of the song. <laughs> oh, <easily>. definitely. Um, <laughs> what do you think it is about that that makes them request this specific song? Well, you remember I talked briefly about, you know, the recording was not so much about singing everything perfect, but just singing in such a way that it touches people, it grabs them and, and, and mm-hmm. finds them where they are kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that song, that, that version of Oh Holy Night, the original version of that, was actually recorded on June the 8th of 1994. Well, the significance of that is, is on May 10th of 1994, I had brain surgery. Oh, okay. Less than, right. less, less than 30 days later, I'm in the recording studio recording one of the most beautiful songs I've ever wow. been a part of. And we that just captured incredible. something. If you listen to it again, if you go back and listen to that 1995 version uh, and listen to it, there's, Get, just ignore the strength and, ex- and all that, but listen for that vulner- There's a vulnerability that you can't create. To our weakness, no mm-hmm. And there's there's some, there's there's a frailness behind all the facade of the big belting it out. There's something there's there's an uncertainty in my voice that. I, I think that just got a hold of people subconsciously and they responded to it. I really do. And uh, a matter of fact, Connie Ellisor, the violinist um, who played on that and did such a remarkable job. She's a world-class violinist and she's in there recording her parts uh, after we had already recorded the track and the vocal and her violin kept going out of tune. World-class violinist, you know, Mm-hmm. And Chuck Howard, the producer, he says, he says, Connie, what is going on with your instrument? She said, well, I'm in here listening to John sing this song and knowing that less than a month ago, we were praying that he would survive, much less sing again. And she said, I've just got tears running down my face and they're falling on my violin, making it go out of tune. Wow. wow. So led by light of a star sweetly. What a story. You can't create that. 
Right. You, know? you, you can't. It, those are moments you can't make up. You can't manufacture. You can't pro tools that. You can't. You know. Because right, those things that are just just sure enough magical moments that somehow get turned into digital information and people put it on their their radio station and they play it and it goes across the airwaves and somebody 500 miles away hears this thing and they feel it yeah How all that emotion out. is captured yeah it's, it's yeah it's, i, def it's, I it's definitely a, it's, a, it's an unchangeable photograph and, oh yeah you know well, I think it is there, and I, like I said, it's it's for me personally, it is my favorite Christmas song, and your version is my favorite one that exists. And now, hearing that story, I can definitely see that there's there's something behind that that's different than just you know, hey, I'm singing a Christmas song, it's manufactured. You know, there's a story behind it, there's emotion, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, and you know, some of probably some of the greatest great recordings of uh, that 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 have been huge, you know, widely successful, huge records, they probably have similar things about them. There's, there's backstory to those kind of records that people don't know, but there's some, there's some, something going on emotionally that is in that studio that gets captured. And, mm -hmm. and that's what it's all about. You know, are there, so that what, are there any, makes them special. are there any other songs like that for you that when you performed them, there was something behind it or a story that, that came through in the music that you can think about? Not like that one. Not like that. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 was yeah. such a, that was such a special, that was such a special thing. Uh, of course, you know, your love amazes me. I've seen the seven wonders of the world. I've seen the beauty of diamonds and pearls. But they ain't nothing, baby. Your love amazes me. You know, Your Love Amazes Me, which was you know, such a widely successful song. You know, it's such a special piece of music that Chuck Jones wrote with his friend Amanda Hunt Taylor. And Chuck wrote it as a, a song for his wife, Becky. And uh, it's just, you know, Kenny Rogers said it once uh, about love songs. It, it's, it's the greatest love songs are what every woman wants to hear and every man wishes he could say. And, and that's what that yeah. song is. That, that's what that one is. There's no doubt. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned earlier, and I, I moved away from it, but as we're talking about songwriting again, I want to come back to it. Are there, you mentioned the retreat that you guys had in France. Were there any other songs that came out of that retreat? Sanctuary. It's been way too long since I spoke my confession. My heart has a burden. I hope you will listen home. You're my sanctuary. What else I wrote there that may have been recorded? Um, oh, uh, Settle for Everything. I wrote with Mark Spiro and Carol King's son in law. I actually got to write a, sing, a song with Carol King while I was there, and that was fun. Wow, that that she's is very cool. Yeah, she's pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I also heard that you played at. I mentioned it earlier in your intro that you played at George Bush's birthday party when he was still president. 
I don't think he was. I think it was past. No, it was George W. was president. George, yeah. And, uh, okay. So, yeah. It was uh, George H. and Miss Barbara. Their birthdays were very close together, and their anniversary I think fell right in between their birthdays. Mm. And so they had this huge celebration. Now I say birthday party. It wasn't in somebody's backyard. It was. It was. It was at the conference center at the Astrodome in Houston. So <laughs> oh, wow. It was, it was a, yeah, it was a huge event. And they had asked me and Michael W. Smith and Larry Gatlin, all three of us, to come and perform like a medley of our hits kind of thing. Wow. And uh, it was a real treat to get to do that. And then um, they had on video the three Italians, uh, Pavarotti and Domingo and what's the third one? Oh, the three tenors. Uh, yeah, the three tenors. Yeah, the three tenors, excuse me, not three times. <laughs> That's a whole different group. Um, but the, yeah, the three tenors. And, and, and they had them on there wishing them a happy birthday and happy anniversary and all that. And so we knew that they were going to be presenting that video. So the three of us decided that we didn't want to be outdone. So we, the three of us, Michael W. Smith, Larry Gatlin, and myself, we learned O Solo Mio in Italian. <laughs> and and so so we sang O Solo Mio in Italian, and it was big, and it was, you know, and, and we, we did it, not tongue-in-cheek, but we did it sort of as, just to be fun, you know. Uh-huh. And they all thought we were so serious, and they thought it was so beautiful, and the place just erupts, and it was quite hysterical. But but it really was fun to get to do that and, and to sing something. And of course, for me, my, my brother Scott was an opera singer for many years. And so I got him to, to phonetically tell me how to say all these Italian words. <laughs> so, cause, cause is my, is, you is know, that recorded somewhere? No, I hope not. <laughs> now, can I go back a little bit further? Sure. So you have a record that was never released just and you left, you were writing it or recording it, and you left Capitol Records better than Biscuit. Better than Biscuit. Um, yeah, Biscuit. Whatever happened to the song, the, the songs on the album? Did they ever make it onto another album or? Well, no, there's, there's two albums actually that never came out um, Better Than a Biscuit and Crazy for the Girl. Uh, Crazy for the Girl was cut first, and when Miles Copeland heard it, uh, he's like, well, it, it's good. It's kind of safe, but it's good. And he suggested we go in with a different producer and remix a few things, change some things around, and cut some new stuff. So we did, and um, and it just did not go as well as I'd hoped. And actually, we ended up taking the project back to Chuck Howard and got him to finish it up. And they did the album, and the first single off that record, if I'm not mistaken, was Over My Shoulder. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, maybe radio was just like, ah, we're over John Barry. That song just sounds like another John Barry song. And, and to me, though, it's one of the most beautiful songs I've ever recorded. It's a great song. Patty Loveless had a, a great version of that song as well. And 
and just a great piece of music. And uh, so the song did not live long. And then they released Better Than a Biscuit. And it got such back, backlash because people were so offended re- referring to woman a woman as a food item. You know, it's, it's like oh. stupid. It's like, mm. are yeah. you crazy? Are you nuts? And and so it died in the record label. Um, I'll tell you why I left the label though. Is I went into a meeting. We we had a staff meeting. And uh, with the powers that be, and it was a let's revive John Barry's career meeting. And the label head, uh, he said, okay, I just want to know why we can't have John do a duet with the best country female singer ever. Why can't we get John Barry to do a duet with Patsy Cline? No. Silence fell on the room. (laughs) And finally, one guy sheepishly raised his hand, and and the guy says, "Yeah, what is it?" He goes, "She's dead." <laughs> it was it was time for me to go. Yeah, yeah, time to go. Now I don't. I was looking on, and it might just be Wikipedia misses a lot of stuff. Um, I was looking on Wikipedia through your your studio albums. And I didn't see Better Than a Biscuit or Crazy for the Girl on listed on your discography. Yeah, but well, it, they never existed, so, you know. Uh, that is except a shame. The, except the promotional copies that are in my warehouse. So. Right. <laughs> so is there any plan to ever do anything with those? Well, Capital owns those masters, so, oh. you know. Uh, right. If, if all of a sudden... Maybe they're holding them till I die, and then they'll, they'll release a box set. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, I don't know what they'll ever do with them, but there's some great songs on both those records. Uh, some of the, the, uh, the albums share some songs, even though they're, they're different. Uh, the the rec- recordings are changed between the two different albums. But, right. um, but there, are some, there are some really, really cool songs on both of those records. So. That is the frustrating thing about the whole uh, album label thing is that they're kind of wrapped up now and, you know, not much that can be done about that, I guess, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, timing-wise, it depends. I could go back and re-record those songs, uh, you know, now that I'm, uh, I think I had a five-year no-compete. I couldn't go back and re-record any of those songs for five years. And, uh, right. But I could possibly go back. Now, there's a song on, one, on I think it's on, on both albums, I think it's, uh, it's called I Do That. Oh, my gosh. What a piece of music. Mm. <laughs> it's a great, great song. Just one of those songs that just, just moves your heart, man. It's just awesome. Mm-hmm. You but hear that, Capitol Records? We want to hear it. <laughs> yes, come on, Capitol. Maybe I'll find a route and be able to re- re-record something like yeah. that. Yeah. 
Mm. Is there anything uh, currently in the works then? As far as I know, you said you were writing, but is there? Uh, I mean, is there a plan for an upcoming album or? Well, yeah, there's there's several projects that we're, we're we're kicking around, so we're just trying to get the the material and writing and and just get everything together to to make that a possibility, you know. So, but I'm sure it will happen now, before too long. I know this is always the kind of the cheesy question to ask uh, any artist or performer, but uh, and I know it's like always picking from your kids. But is there any particular album or song that you would say you know means the most to you or is your favorite? Oh. Yeah, how about that? That that's that's like that's like a, your kid, you know, like you said. Taking the kids, I know it's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it all depends on what day of the week it is, and what's going on yeah. around now. <laughs> <laughs> who's being stupid today and who's not? So. <laughs> oh, very true. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's you know I I I just been really fortunate to get to record songs that I love to sing, man. You know, just just great songs. And, and uh, just so many of them, there's just different things about different ones, you know. And of course, you you know you're grateful for the ones that have impacted impacted careers enough to make to to give you a career, you know. Mm, right. And uh, but but melody wise, uh, you and only you is one of my favorite songs to sing. That there's something about that melody that's just breathtaking to me. Right. And, uh, just just really really love singing that that piece of music. There is a song that um, just, I don't know what it is about it, that really just, really just tears me up. Is uh, There's an album I did that Kerry Kirk Phillips produced um, sometime early 2000s. Uh, those were the days. It's a thing with young love. We all grow up, it never lasts long enough. Can't go back some nights It keeps you away Cause you know those were the days And uh, that song, oh my gosh I love singing that song <laughs> I love the melody about that song I love the whole vibe about it It's just it's just one of those tunes, man Just really just heart-wrenching song to me Cool piece Mm-hmm Wonderful. Now, I didn't. I wanted to ask this question earlier, and I didn't want to interrupt because uh, you were telling a great story at the time. It, it sounds like you learned a lot down in Athens, and it led to a really great record deal. But you also said the first three albums weren't good. What did you change after the first three albums that kind of solidified your music? Oh no, no. I mean, first three independent albums. Right. The, the ones, ones that, that yes, before. Favorite. Before you got the record deal. Oh, well, we just didn't know what we were doing. I had no idea. It was me and my buddy from high school. We'd never even been in a recording studio. <laughs> we were just, we were making it up on the fly. As a matter of fact, we thought if the meters moved, that there was too much noise on the track. We didn't, we didn't know. <laughs> we were idiots. So. <laughs> So a lot of learning how the equipment would work and how it, how it's supposed to come out. Oh yeah, we didn't know. Sound like yeah. I mean, I've got a I've got a I've got a I've got a studio on my laptop that smokes anything I had back then. I I mean, literally, we recorded my first three albums on a TAC four track recorder, reel to reel, ten inch reel to reel. Wow. And had a, a, a 
Tiac Model 2 mixer. I mean, I'm, t- I'm telling you, man, it was just crazy. It was horrible is what it was. But, you know, what it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, I do want to... I wanted to talk about this song real quick. I know uh, uh, you've been talking to us for a while here, but uh, one of my favorite songs by you is, in fact, Sanctuary. Um, I recently posted on Facebook because it, it just... Uh, like you said, it's one of those songs that I listen to it. I'm like, that's my song. And um, I think I read somewhere, it might have been Wikipedia or somewhere else, that you did say or, or you have said that your favorite line to sing is uh, you're the prayer that mothers whisper every night for uh, each night for their sons everywhere. Love that line. Oh, yeah. Is that that is that the case? And if so, why, why is that your favorite line to sing? There, There's just something about that line. You're the prayer that mothers whisper each night for their sons everywhere. There's just something about that, man. I mean... Just I mean, think, think, uh, think if you were the receiver of that, mm-hmm. you know, what a cool thing, man, to, to think that you're the prayer, that you're, you're the answer to the prayer that mothers everywhere wish for, for their sons. I mean, that's just, that's sweet, man. Yeah, that'll, that'll get you some sugar right there. <laughs> oh, <very laughs> so I, I have three more questions. I don't want to tie up all your time. You've been very generous with your time tonight, and I appreciate it. Um, but I do have three more questions if you have time. Well, for yeah, yeah um, I got time. I'm just, I'm just rambling around, man. Rambling. <laughs> that's, all, that's all good. <laughs> hey, we appreciate it. These are great stories. Now, now, don't think my next question is saying that you're not country, because you're totally country. But your album, I Give My Heart, is, I would say, almost a soft rock album. And it has my wife and my song, uh, Let's Stay Together. I'm so in love with you Whatever you want to do It's alright with me And and you do an amazing rendition of it. I mean, and, and your earlier three album, albums or had, had a really rock component to the country stylings. Do you, do you venture into any other kind of genres at times? Well, I haven't, but um, as far as recording, but there, there's a couple of things I, I would love to do. And, and we'll see, you know, we're, we're kicking around the idea of doing a gospel hymns record, but make mm. it sound like my old Christmas, my old, old Christmas album where it's a great band, but oh, by the way, there's a really huge string section there that's making Ooh. it just lush and beautiful and just big. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then there's um, uh, there's a uh, there's a couple of songs that are actually opera tunes that are opera arias that mm. I would love to see if I could record them. And, right. and uh, that just because they're just so, so ding dang beautiful. And, um, <laughs> But 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 then there's another record I want to cut that's just me and my guitar, and doing songs mm-hmm. that I wrote years ago that nobody's really heard, and they're not the best songs in the world, but it it's what got me to where I am and who I am. Yeah. And I just thought it'd be fun to just record these songwriter demos and do as great because the versions of those songs is what makes them as half as bad as they are because the the recordings were so bad to me. But it, but even if I it could get some better recordings of them, it might make them at least listenable, you know, and and, and, and just help people see where I came from and, 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 and kind of got to where I'm at now. So, 
There's just something organic, yeah, something very organic about that, about just being able to sit down and yeah, sing I mean, a song that you wrote, play the guitar, and yeah, I think that's that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just songs I wrote by myself, really, when I was a uh-huh. kid and and or a young or a young adult, and and uh, you know, not that not that, and I'll put a disclaimer with them. You know, not, these aren't the best things in the world. It's just it's just where I started, you know. And, uh, well, and yeah, yeah. So and we'll speaking, see if that all happens. I think it'd be kind of fun. Even speaking as a fan, though, even if it was just on your YouTube channel, you know, I I know that we'd listen. You know, I would listen to that. <laughs> yeah. Just get, get just yeah, pure John Barry. You know? It's funny. I, I had a, a thing when, because Capital, we released my fourth and, no, my fifth and sixth independent records, uh, Saddle the Wind and Things Are Not the Same. But the first four, we didn't do anything with. And so to go along with the album, Those Were the Days, I thought, wouldn't it be cool to re release those old records? you know, remaster uh-huh. them. And, and so the only thing we had was vinyls. I still had vinyls, unopened vinyls right. of those records. Uh-huh. And so I was, at, I was at Pigeon Forge in, in, in the Tennessee mountains uh, for a week doing an, an event there, playing at this event for the, for the week at Dollywood. And um, so I took a really nice turntable with a component where I could play the records and they would transfer into my computer, you know, and as I listened to them, I realized how bad they sucked <laughs> and decided that no one, no one ever needed to hear these things. So, <laughs> so, I, I, so I quickly packed up all my gear and put it away, never to get out again. So, <laughs> so my last two questions I have are actually from, from a fan. Um, one of my friends is a really big fan. Her name is Jen. Uh, Jennifer Day, and she asked, she, do you feel if there's any lack of female representation in the mainstream radio today? Um, there, there's some people out there, but you, she's like, I rarely hear the newer wave of the women on the radio like K- uh, Casey Musgraves or Maren Morris, and she just wanted your opinion on that. Well, the radio gurus at B, they're going to play what they think the market wants to hear right right and whether that be guys or girls or young people or old cats like me (laughs) well obviously you know cats like me because they ain't playing me you know i i you know i I just i think that they are just very very focused on what they think it's going to what what the market's going to demand for you know Mm. to them i think that's all they care about they don't care who it is as as long as it's what they think their listeners want to hear. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think they, I don't think they, I, I don't think they care if it's a guy or girl. I don't think they care at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I think that they, they, they're just looking at the, the bottom line. What's, what's, what's going to get people to listen to the station. Yeah. What's going to make money. Yeah, what's what's going to yeah, keep people right. listening. To this. Yeah. 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 I think that's all they care about. Well, and that makes sure. sense. That's not that's not a cynical point of view. That's that's just like, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes down to it, the basic facts of like they've got to keep the radio on the air, and they do that with with uh, commercials, which they do by having people listen. So they're playing what they think people yeah. will listen to. Um, yeah. So that makes sense. And, and another yeah. question: per- Feel perfectly okay to say yep. no? I, I really don't want to answer that one uh, again. From Jennifer, she likes to ask the more the more uh, difficult questions. <laughs> she wanted to know what your thoughts are on bro country. 
Um, and, and do you feel that it's, it's too far from traditional country music or is it just like the next chapter or just another branch of it? I think it's just another chapter. It ebbs and flows, you know, it, mm-hmm. it just, you know, just, it just rides the waves and, and, uh, you know, their folks are going to be different things that appeal to folks for a period of time and it'll change again. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's just, mm-hmm. just the way it works, you know, just, it comes and goes. Okay. I think that I... I definitely consider myself when it comes to country more of a traditionalist. I love the good story songs, the good romantic songs. Um, you know, even from the 90s, my wife and I were just talking, you know, Randy Travis, George Strait, John Barry. You know, there was a different style to country back then. Every once in a while yeah. I touch it, I hear somebody that, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, that's that's really good. Is there anybody in the country industry today? Is there anybody in the country industry today uh, putting out music that you do endorse or do you do listen to that you enjoy? Um, That's big on the radios to, right now. Not to be, a, yeah, not to be offensive. I, I don't really listen to a lot, so okay. I just sort of do my thing, and I, I just don't really listen to a lot of music. So um, I just sort of do do the stuff that I do, and you know, right? Okay, yeah. kind of where it's, lim- yeah. it's kind of limited, yeah. you know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <That> makes sense. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Real quick, um, I do want to know, we, we mentioned a lot of your songs tonight, and of course I want to showcase your songs, get people who want to go out there and buy them um, and and listen to them more. So is it okay if we put like 15, 20-second snippets of each of these songs in there so people can hear them as we've talked about them? Sure, man, spin them. Because, you know, awesome. my, my idea is to highlight you as much as possible. So, All right, Well, I appreciate that very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and very speaking much. of highlighting you, like, John, you are well-known, extremely well-known for the charities that you are involved in. Are there any other projects or charities that you would like to plug at this time as we as we finish up? Uh, charitable concerts that you plan for this year? Um, I'm going to make sure that we post them on our liner notes for the episode. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, there's an organization um, called Samaritan's Purse. And it's uh, it was started by Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son. And okay. it is a fabulous organization. As a matter of fact, they're right here in Nashville, Tennessee this week uh, after the tornado came through a few days ago. And um, I've heard of Samaritan's Purse years, for years. And uh, a while back uh, when the hurricane hit the Texas coast, my wife Robin and I and our bass player Michael got on my bus and we took off and went to, um, to uh, Houston and helped out for a week. Uh, helping clean up after the hur- after the hurricane, and now they're here in Nashville helping clean up from the tornado. One of the mm-hmm. most organized, make use of every single dollar better than anybody on the planet. I mean, these folks are awesome. And uh, if if you wanna if you wanna help, if folks wanna help out with hurricane or relief or any kind of natural disaster that takes place, these folks they go to a matter of fact they are still in Houston helping clean up. And helping people get back on their feet from two years ago, they're still there helping out. That's amazing. And uh, they don't leave until the job's done. That's sort of their motto. And is that where the, the job's done? The hurricane relief song that you did with um, I know Brian Wade was on there and and yeah. uh, Colin Ray. That's is that through yeah. the Samaritan's person? That, yeah, we've actually Chuck Jones and I have donated our royalties from that song to Samaritan's Purse, the publishing as well as songwriters. Because uh, we both own our own publishing, so we're donating right. it to uh, to mm-hmm. that that event. So, 
And for people that don't know it, that will be in our liner notes, that page where you can easily reach out and find that. Also, I highly encourage everyone to go out and listen to your songs and stories. It is an amazing website. You guys, you have wonderful guests. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I love your your album and your book as well of songs and stories. Uh, it's amazing to listen to. And I, I, you're just such a great story and story writer, story uh, and uh, better than me at this moment, um, <laughs> you know, in terms of expressing and telling people where these songs came from and how they affected your life. Um, and then getting other people also to talk about that. And I highly encourage people to go out and listen to, is it a podcast? I don't know how to label it. It's kind of a TV. Well, the songs and stories t- TV show we had and, um, and, and people that can actually, if, if they're still, doing the dvd thing people can actually order the dvd uh mm-hmm. for season one and uh it was really a lot of fun we had a great time doing that and hopefully we'll get to do it again we're hoping that it comes back so yeah it says that you guys have season two coming out soon uh we're, we're well season two we've had uh as far as it being broadcast and they're hoping to have it on dvd soon so that's oh, what's oh. in the plan yo crazy yeah i was hoping i was gonna ask you about that <laughs> <laughs> Because I do want to get that whole season. I know there was one episode on YouTube, but that was it. So I, I want to get a hold of that. Yeah. Cool. John, cool. you have been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for coming on and telling us all these wonderful stories, helping us get a, a really good backstage glance at you and your process and just you as a person. Well, I appreciate that. Appreciate you letting me be on the show with you guys. Yeah, oh. it was an honor to talk to you, John. Fantastic. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, thank you all so much. I appreciate it very, very much. Well, thank you, Phyllis. I thank appreciate you, and it. thank you for your time. You bet. Thank you all. Yep, you have, you have a good night, John. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. That was fun. Don't forget. No regrets. Except maybe one. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.